Hey everyone, welcome to Life Trees Walking. This is uh, your co-host, Pastor Dave Berge, joined uh, today, as always, by Michael J. Nelson. And we have a very special hey. guest with us today. Hey Mike, how are you? I am doing well. How are you? I was thinking, when I was thinking of doing this recording, that I think I brought this up before, but uh, Pastor David Paul Berge, right? Correct. So we got to, th- those are your four PD... PDPDB. Yeah. yeah. I think that's good. I want to get that going for you. PDPDB. I get it on like a ring that goes across your four knuckles, you know, like a big, you know, some bling. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Get me a four finger ring. I would appreciate it. So you'll wear it if I make it personally for you and yes. buy it? Yes. I would wear it. Okay. Yeah. Done and done. Anyway, tell right. them what this podcast right. is and why we're here today. So this podcast is, it's Like Trees Walking. This is a podcast where we talk about the big questions of life, faith, theology, uh, the sweet mysteries of existence. We do so from a Christian perspective, but uh, we welcome all comers. And uh, during this quarantine, uh, as they are calling it, we uh, have detoured a bit uh, from our regularly scheduled programming to speak about um, issues as they pertain to life as we are now living it in the midst of however you want to call it, these uncertain times, these troubling times, these trying times. Pick your cliche that you've gotten from, you know, your soap company, uh, a CEO email. Um, in the midst of these, uh, you know, very interesting times, we are uh, speaking with people who can give us some fresh insight and, and perspective. So we spoke with Lyman Stone, who is in Hong Kong. Uh, we spoke with Todd Balsinger, who is uh, in church leadership and at uh, Fuller Seminary. And today we are speaking with my smoking hot wife. Oh, no, no. I will <laughs> My wife, Amy, is joining us on the pod because when I thought of someone who could offer insight into a terrible experience of living life in extremely confined circumstances, I said, what better than someone who's been married to me? <laughs> so yeah we're not kicking the can down the road because and like oh who's in my house no this is a real this per- pertains precisely to the things we're all going through yes correct yes absolutely so this is i think an even more severe ver- amy can speak to an even more severe version of what we're going through right now and offer her perspective as to how she made it through how she survived nay thrived well survived maybe is more uh, realistic survived but we'll get in. We'll get into the specifics. So, Mike, is there anything else before I intro throw, throw it to Amy? Oh, uh, business wise, no. Come okay. on, the world has changed. There's nothing else. We're just uh, we want to hear from Amy. We want to know, uh, you know, the the thing that we're going through these temporary light afflictions compared to uh, Amy's uh, endurance. So, I want to hear that story. Yes, Amy. So you have a, t- a true story. A true tale of endurance that I, I, my, uh, basically my argument I lay out is it's def- it was definitely worse than what we're going through now, for sure. And so, could you please begin to tell your story, and we will ask questions as as it goes along that pique our interest. Yes. Well, the caveat being that it is worse than the quarantining part, but obviously, once. Um, you take into account people who are actually coming down with COVID nineteen. Um, that is that is its own that is its own separate thing. So that's true. Being hospitalized com- or dying from COVID nineteen yes. is probably worse. We are not comparing sure. my yep. experience to that. We are comparing it to just the isolation, the social distancing, the quarantining, and um, and as to, and not just not to say that this is not difficult. Uh, we are finding this to be a very very trying time in our own household for sure. But um, when I compare it to to going on bed rest, which was my experience, um, that was even more mentally taxing. So our, our eldest son, I went into labor with him at 31 weeks. And um, I, David was in Minneapolis and I was just gonna, I went off for, to, I was teaching high school math at the time. So I went off and uh, I went to the bathroom and saw blood and just a little, but you know, you, you don't mess around with that. So I called my OBGYN and she said, come down here immediately. And so I, you know, 
told the principal I needed to go and uh, left and drove down to, we were in Ojai, so I had to drive out of the valley into Ventura. Um, and yeah, she started checking me out and she said, we got to get you admitted to the hospital. And so I was admitted to the hospital and apparently I was contracting every five minutes, which I was very unaware of. Um, and she was doubtful that the labor would stop. But um, fortunately, the labor did stop. And after a couple days, they felt safe to send me home, but with the restriction that I would never get out of bed. So I could get out of bed to go to the bathroom. I could get out of bed to take a shower every couple days. Um, but I could not. We had a townhome with stairs and the bedroom, our bedroom was upstairs. I could not do stairs to go down to the kitchen. I could not do the stairs to go down to the living room. I could not get up and do anything, anything normal. And the goal was to keep uh, our child in until I was full term at 37 weeks. So six, about just about six weeks of um, laying in bed all day, every day. Wow. I mean, I would like a vacation like that. <laughs> right? No, and, and just seriously, until you respond to that, uh, and we get into kind of some of the uh, some of the specific details of what that was like mentally, spiritually, all of that, just to let people know that I was in Minneapolis. That's where we live currently, but um, at the time I was at a preaching conference in Minneapolis and just happened to be here with a couple of seminary buddies and because and we lived in Ojai, California at the time. Um, and so, you know, I had just gotten back here for that and it was like day two of the conference. And so, you know, I got this phone call from Amy telling me this is happening. And so, uh, you know, she's like, I, I'm, I'm in labor. And so I bought a plane ticket immediately and, uh, and, and hopped on a plane to get back there, you know, terrified that I was going to, you know, my son was going to be born when I was flying on the plane or rushing back up to California. So this was terrifying circumstances followed then by laying around or you having to lay around in bed for, for, for six weeks. So continue hon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was your, what was your initial thought? Like this is, I can't do it or I, what, what, it, what is this? I mean, is it just shock or do you just kind of go, Oh, well, I mean, everything's weird now. I guess I'll do this. Like how, how did you react? Yeah, I think it was like, this is just what I have to do. Like everything's every, yeah, everything was just weird now. But I was so grateful that he wasn't born and would have a chance to, you know, every day that, uh, uh, you know, you can keep the baby in your stomach is, is a, a day better for his lungs and a day better for his health um, and all sorts of just kind of long-term consequences. It's just so much better for that. Um, and so I just felt like this is just what I have to do. I'm such a rule follower that kind of like now I'm, you know, okay, I have to stay in my home and stay six feet away from people and wear a mask and you wash my hands all the time. Like, yeah, I'll do it. Like if that's what it takes for, for health to win, um, then yeah, I will do it. And so I think I just was like, this isn't, you know, this is just what I have to do. I think the relief of him not being born was just so, so powerful and so relieving that, um, that it felt at the time like a, like a small, a small price to pay for, for that. And what were the challenges that kind of came up right away? I'm sure like day one, it's like, okay, this is my job. So mm -hmm. I guess I'm thinking in my own mind, I would go like, all right, day one, you know, no big deal. I've sat on the couch before, big deal. But when, when did you start to kind of, you know, realize that this was going to be super challenging? Um, you know, did that happen quickly because you just suddenly your all of your freedom is gone, freedom of movement, everything, or, or did it sort of seep in slowly and you had to, you know, shore up things uh, little by little? No, I think it was pretty immediate. I, I remember specifically, um, they sent me home with like, What's the what's the stuff that gets you to sleep? Uh oh, um, Ambien. Scotch. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was Ambien. Yeah, it was. Yeah, some sort of amb, some sort of prescription. You know, get you to sleep. And I just remember taking that from day one. Like I am, I am such an active person. <laughs> And so, you know, I, I wasn't running cause I had stopped running at about 
20 weeks is when, when my OBGYN recommended I stop running. And so, but I was still taking daily walks and I was, um, you know, teaching every day. So I was on my feet all the time and just using all sorts of energy. And so I, that like, even that first night back home, I remember taking my prescription go to sleep pill because I, I knew that without it, I had not expended enough energy to even just fall asleep. Like there was just no way that I was going to fall asleep. And so it was pretty taxing from the get-go. It was uh, just mentally mentally taxing in that way because I was so used to being active and loved to be active and out and about. And, you know, we lived in Ojai. Like I could have been hiking. I could have been enjoying this, you know, beautiful weather. It was May. I had just gotten back. Um, our, we Every year, the school that I taught at would have a beach day, of course, you know, because California. We had just gotten, we had just done our beach day like the week before and it was sunny and beautiful and all these things to be enjoying and hikes to be enjoying. And here I was in, in a single room because where we lived was two stories. And so I couldn't experience anything other than a single room, a single bed oh and the and that, days were long yeah and that townhouse um that you know we go back and say like that was probably our main motivation to leave Ohio, like or that made it easy to leave Ohio was we lived in this townhouse that was just very depressing um so the the it had no vibe to it so it wasn't like you're in your master suite where even that would no. be like like the, just it was kind of like a place that we hated being in anyways <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. And so we just, wow. yeah. I mean, so we were, cause we were always at church. Um, and we were always out and about, uh, w- when we lived there, which was great. And, you know, so we would, we would get out of our house as much as we could. I mean, every opportunity we were, we were, we were leaving, you know, Amy was going to work. We were going to church. We were going to our friend's house. We were going for walks. We were going for runs. We were going for hikes. We were going to, you know, swim in the pool. Um, and, uh, like this was just like, nope, you know, this place you hate. Uh, just go spend, um, and, and the view, mm-hmm. I mean, what a great view from there, honey, onto our, um, where all the, everyone's garages faced each other, you know, in this little courtyard. It was like one of yeah, those it was things. was a garage so. courtyard. That's what our window, <laughs> yeah. there were three windows in the whole place, two of which faced a garage courtyard. Um, you know, when there's mountains literally just surrounding, we're in a valley, it could have mm-hmm. faced anything beautiful. So it faced, two of our windows faced the garage courtyard and one of them, um, had a fence immediately around it with a tree overhanging. So it was just shadow all the time. And that's it. That was our, that was our, the place we lived in. So yeah, it was already pretty depressing. And to spend all this time in this really depressing bedroom was, uh, was also meant, and to not be able to leave this, this place that we did not find inspiring, um, was very difficult. So what... I can imagine that it's an imperfect uh, analogy and it's just a sliver of it. But anyone who's ever gotten like late uh, spring flu or something where the, the, you know, especially in Minnesota, everything bursts and it's you know, 75 degrees and people are out and you're lying in your bed unable to move from the flu that I, I imagine gives you at least some hint, but then just extend it forever. And that's what you're going through. <laughs> Yeah, it's it was it's miserable. It's awful. Super miserable. Very miserable. Yes, it was um, the you know inertia. There's just none, and so even kind of the motivation to to. I definitely did reading. I did read, um, and I watched a lot of TV, and I actually it was the end of the semester, and so I ended up um, writing the final exams and grading the final exams for my class, but. Um, but other than that, I just didn't even have motivation to do much. I was sent home with, you know, these exercise bands and the kind of physical therapist had given me ideas for uh, exercising in bed. And for me, like, I, I, lo- I love being active and just I could not even like summon up the energy to use these exercise bands and try to um, work, work my muscles in any in any way, because the the lack of energy just beget more lack of energy. And I feel like that is very akin to what is happening now. If people are just finding that I'm finding, I want to take naps a lot because I'm just really, really tired. Um, or people are being told like, now is your time to do something great. But it's like, no, no, no. Now is your time to just survive because 
this, the, how mentally taxing things are. I think we don't really give enough credit to what, what that's doing, what that's doing to us. And so if you feel like you should be writing the next great novel or um, painting the next great masterpiece and don't understand why you're not finding that energy or inspiration, um, that's, that's normal. That's, that's exactly where we are. We are not thriving. We are, we are surviving. How did you, you did, you did not. Well, no, go ahead, Mike. No, go no, ahead. no, you're more interesting than me, but I, I have a follow-up at some point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I found that that, the, that message that's come out since this uh, you know, quarantine is, is a little bit hectoring, and I'm not sure that I like it. Like, now is the time. Write your symphony, that novel that you have. It's like, uh, yeah, we've, there's a lot of other stresses here. There's a lot of other things going on, and that's not easy to do and it also makes then it sort of doubles down on making people feel bad like Mm -hmm. i feel bad enough i'm trying to keep this family together and uh so that is very relatable that you kind of you know felt like no it's just enough to keep doing this what we're doing like Mm -hmm. not doing anything still requires energy it still requires your will and your will is uh involved in you know, I am going to stay here. It is very hard. So I, I totally get it. And I sympathize. Oh, Amy. Yeah, I definitely think it's, it's, I know, I have children in the background. I apologize. But I don't apologize. I don't apologize for having children. I just apologize no. for how loud they are. Oh, just for now. Um, no, no apologies needed. No. No, it, this is, this is a life going on. We, we all, life going this on. is our new reality. And they yes. were told, they were told yes. to be quiet. So I'm shocked they were not listening, you know? <laughs> I'm really surprised that they're not being just perfectly quiet. But Amy, how did you approach each day? Oh man, each day. I think I like waking up in the morning was very difficult. It was pretty, pretty depressing to start the day anew because I would wake up and I would think, oh my goodness, I have, you know, like 13 or 14 hours of doing nothing before I can have the sweet relief of, of going back to bed. And so um, I would wake up and it it was that was the hardest part. And then I remember hitting like two or three in the afternoon. And that was the hardest, that, that was definitely the hardest part of my day because by then I was only halfway through. Um, in the morning, you know, you, you know you have the whole day ahead of you, but you're just kind of, you just woke up, so you're a little fresh. And by two or three, I, I just felt the weight of knowing that I was only halfway through. And so it was about that time that um, there were plenty of times where at about halfway through the day, two or three o'clock, I would just cry because that was, it was just oh, so man. overwhelming to me to, to know that I had still double the day of nothing to do. Um, so yeah, I think there was- It makes total sense. It's like anyone who's ever had like those transition periods in your life, let's say you're leaving a job that you- strongly dislike or that you're you know something new is on the horizon but you're in that waiting period and you know in work they call it short timers disease where you just have two i gave my two weeks notice day one goes for 47 hours day two is 97 hours like you can't stop looking at the clock and you're doing that you know waking up every day and going oh man the clock is just you know picture a, a you know, a bad movie with the clock going ka-chunk and clicking over yeah, well, each second. That had to be miserable. It, it was very miserable. I think the um, the difference in that situation is really having a grasp on what halfway through meant as far as, you know, even each day and the whole experience, there's a finite end. I knew that if uh, if our son wasn't born by 37 weeks, that that would for sure be my my time of getting out of bed. Um, and that's the difficult part now is we just, there's really no end in sight. Um, we don't know how much longer we're, we're going to be going to be doing this for. And so, um, it's, I think that part is definitely harder because there are so many more unknowns of, you know, who in your life is going to get sick and be affected by this. And, you know, how long will this happen or how long will you be jobless for, or all these, all these things when you know, when you don't have a plan or an end date, that is that is difficult. Um, I think that was kind of the only thing I could cling to is knowing that I had I had an end date where you know my child you know would be 
great outside of my body. And so I could just get up and move around. And incidentally, yes, he was born. I, he stayed in till 37 weeks. I got off bed rest and I went into labor the next day. So he definitely was ready to come out. But, um, yeah, that was, there was a, there was a blessing coming and, uh, there was an end date. So what's the spiritual lesson? Because, you know, this is like trees walking. We have to uh, get that component. How did you deal with it every day? Or were there days of desolation, which is fine. That's also an answer where you just go, I don't know what's happening. Or what was your your plan and what was your spiritual condition as you went through it? Did you, were you shaking your fists at God or were you encouraged and then just went through the misery? Like, you know, tell me how that works. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think like it was frustrating, but it was not, it was something where I felt God's hand of protection just over this life growing inside of me. Um, and I felt so grateful, grateful for that. And just knowing, um, that, that God, you know, the, as much sacrifice as I was making for my son, that God sent his son, you know, the father sent the son to make an infinitely greater sacrifice for us. And so just, it felt like such a small, small thing to do for, for the health of my child. Um, and knowing that our God really did so much more, I, is, really an amazing thought because as miserable as I was, it just did not even compare to the sacrifice made on our behalf. And so I could make that sacrifice every day knowing that, you know, our God doesn't let that time be wasted, uh, first of all, and knowing that, um, you know, his, his hand is over, was over the situation. I definitely was able to find silver linings of, you know, it was my first child. And so, um, understanding that I could lay in bed without having to worry about what to do with another child um, was a, a huge silver lining. And then when Gregory, our third son, was born extremely early at 23 weeks, um, we, you know, having two other kids at home, I think, was complicated that a lot, trying to care for all of them. And so at the time, I knew that it was a silver lining that that we didn't have to worry about, um, other, other kids. I, I didn't have to really worry about my income even because it was, you know, I was getting toward the end of the school year and actually my, my school very generously, uh, I had, I had, I'd only worked there one year and I had sick days saved up, but after my sick days were done, um, they just, they, they paid me for the rest of the school year. They, which they definitely did not have to do. And so we're, we didn't have to worry about the, the finance portion or um, having another child to care for, it was it was just the mentally taxing daily grind of of getting getting through it. Mm-hmm. And Dave, yes. uh, your perspective on it, because you, I mean, you participated pretty actively in this waiting period. I was there. Uh, what, yeah. how, do, how do you think you did? First, grade yourself. Grade yourself. Give yourself an A, B, C, or D, and then we'll ask. Solid you. A. I got to give myself a solid A. Um, you know, because I'll let him, what, what, what's your defense? What's your defense of your A? No, my defense of my A, my (laughs) defense of my A is that, um, I was, uh, I feel like I was very present, you know, I was there to take care, you know, make sure that you had your food, uh, uh, that you had food and drink, uh, that you were cared for, well stocked. Um, I did the laundry, uh, I did the cooking and cleaning, um, Okay. Yeah. You know, I yeah, this is good. I uh, You're starting to stack up. I watched. Uh, I mean, the give, giving your wife food and drink is pretty basic stuff. I don't think you get to. <laughs> but put if that I in didn't, that's part of a grade. <laughs> if I didn't do it, that would be bad. Um, I guess, but you know, that's the, and it was the good basics. food. Like it wasn't like I nourished my wife. It wasn't like hamburger. <laughs> I didn't like let hamburger her help. and my unborn child starve to death. That is yeah. befitting of an A. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, no, and, he. And you know, I was he good was company. very attentive. Mm-hmm. I would say I would. The only reason I would say A minus is I. Uh, we watched. You made me watch uh, basketball with you. The um, the well, that's the oh, NBA oh, playoffs, damn. which I was not. I was not very excited about watching that, and I was kind of a captive audience to that. Well, but sorry about you that. Fed one, me huh? very well. 
you kept things clean and I know you don't like cleaning. And he would yeah, even, I, I just remember he would come upstairs and assure me because I couldn't see the kitchen or the living room at all because I was stuck upstairs. And he would say, I, I like, he would assure me that those places were cleaned just for my, you know, just for my sanity's sake. So that was very nice. And you were very good company, David. No, you were supportive. And, and, you and yet he knew bet. that yep. even if he was lying about the, the, the cleanliness of the places, he was still going to get away with it. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's pretty good. So he gets points for it, but it was probably a pig's die. Probably. No, no right. way. I, I, I'm a man of my word, but the, uh, I was taking care of it. So yeah, I, th- I think, uh, I think a, a solid A in for me, basketball was good. I mean, it was, you know. It was fine. I, I much prefer something like March Madness. Um, the right. N- NBA, well, I just I was, don't know. It's just not my thing as much. I college but, basketball is more enjoyable. But, but it was, uh, I mean, yeah, because the, the Mar- March Madness is like an event, you know, in and of itself. Yeah. And and the NBA playoffs, you kind of have to be more yeah. like into into the game of basketball itself. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, so Amy, what was um, uh, what like. What was helpful? Did were, were were people helpful when people visited? Like, did you? What do you feel like? I don't know. I, I'm just putting that out there because I'm interested for your perspective in terms of kind of how other the role other people besides me, who obviously was awesome, besides me, how they did. Yeah, I remember um, soon before I hit full term, there were a bunch of people from church that I think we left for an OBGYN. The only I was able to leave for my OBGYN appointments. That was that was it. That was the only time I saw downstairs. So however many times that was, not many. Um, and one time when we left, the, a whole crew from church came over and cleaned uh, just to, in preparation for our son to be born and taken home. That was really helpful. I feel like acts of acts of service were helpful. So people, you know, bringing like food that, that we enjoyed was really helpful. Um, I found unhelpful were people trying to find silver linings for me. So the silver lining of, oh, I would like, you know, oh, how wonderful. I wish I could, you know, lay in bed and relax all day. That sounds wonderful. Like it wasn't wonderful. I needed people just to say like, that sucks that you're doing this and it is miserable. Um, or the silver lining of, well, at least you're getting your rest now. Cause when the baby comes, you won't get as much rest, which a hundred percent, not how rest works. I will tell you that I was losing muscle mass by the day. And so my energy was not increasing. It was decreasing before he was born and giving labor when you've lost muscle mass is not as fun. Um, so people, I think finding silver linings for me when what I needed was for them to just kind of plumb the depths and enter into it with me and let me state any silver linings that I might have found would have been helpful. Um, and visits, I, I, you know, like I understood that people, you know, there are people who wanted to visit because I think they thought that was helpful, but it was, it was hard to converse or act. I feel like there's almost like this. You like you're you're pretending like things are a little more normal when all I wanted to do was just kind of be by myself and in my in my misery. I actually found emails helpful. So um, emails or messages from people who had been through similar things or scary things in pregnancies um, or just kind of lamenting with me. I I liked that. Um, much more than in-person visits where I kind of felt like I had to be on. And I, um, you know, when somebody comes into your home and you're visiting with them, there's almost this like intrinsic hospitality taking place. Like I have to entertain oh, sure. you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I can't entertain. I can't even entertain myself. I can't entertain you. Um, so I knew it was very well-meaning. It's not that it wasn't well-meaning. It was. I just uh, personally uh, did not find that as helpful at the time. But there were plenty of things right, that were yeah. done that were very helpful. Yeah, I, I have a slight analogy in that I, I've talked about this on the podcast before, is that I've had a one continuous headache for over 30 years now. It happens all the time. It never goes away. There's nothing you can do. You can't wear a sign that says, hey, I have a headache. Chill out, man. Don't, 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 you don't yell at me. But so, yeah, I guess I could. I should, maybe I should get a t-shirt printed up that says that. But, you know, you, you don't walk in with a cast and, and, uh, and crutches and people go, oh, hey, what's... So you walk into a party and you look completely normal and it's very hard to convey to people, hey, 
sort of hard for me to get through this tonight, but, uh, you know, here it is and you do it and you deal with, you know, you have strategies and everything. So that's my tiny, mm. I think I have a slight window on, on what that would look like to have people coming in. <laughs> Suddenly you're supposed to be hosting the person coming in. Weird. I mean, right, right. that has got to be difficult. Yeah, I mean, I think your your analogy is worse because you don't have an end date on that. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard it's hard when people are. Oh, know, I do have an end date. <laughs> that's right, grave. Yeah, you still don't you don't know the date, right? I mean, <laughs> that's this true. All that's of true. The, that's true. That's true. This this novel coronavirus too shall you know shall run its course, but we just don't know when. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard when you have these. When you when people are very well meaning around you, um, to then, uh, and I find myself to be a pretty open person, but it was too difficult for me to be like, hey, I don't really want to be around you right now. Like that that yeah. doesn't that doesn't help anybody. And just like you, Mike, you know, it's it's hard to be like, hey, I'm I'm just doing what I can to get through this event. Like have a little a little sympathy. I think it's you know it's it's hard. It's hard to 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 go there. Yeah, and I think that's where we all are right now. It's like we're all dealing with the same thing and stresses. So, yeah, I think just a little more, uh, uh, you know, sympathy and understanding and empathy with people about their different situations. I mean, we're, um, Bridget and I are in, uh, you know, we're by ourselves. You guys have kids. I can't imagine, you know, just like there's there's a lot going on right now with everyone. And so sympathy, empathy. For sure. And there's... And everyone, I think, too, Amy, what you said kind of speaks to that you had different needs in, you know, like, because normally you're very social. And so, yeah, getting together with someone, you know, meeting with someone, talking about life, you know, that's something that's enjoyable. But in the circumstances, it's like, well, there's nothing to talk about. Like, I'm laying in bed and I don't like it and it's not fun and I, I really have nothing to say. Um, you know, and that's what's hard when you're just laying in bed and not like nothing is happening. That's the whole point is, um, like I didn't give birth to this baby today. So that's a success. But beyond that, mm-hmm. I was, I did what I was told, which was to lay in a bed a hundred percent of the day, which means I don't have like a lot of, <laughs> I don't have, a, not, there's not much to report, you know, nothing to report today. And so, um, you know, that's, that's difficult too, when you feel like, you know, life is happening on the outside. And for you, it's like, it's not, and no one else can no literally no one else in the world could share that experience with you. I mean, I, and I could be in it with you. Um, but I, you know, I had to get up. And so even I could only, you know, sympathize so much. So I think the power of listening to people and hearing from them actually how they're doing or what's going on or what they need. And, you know, we don't want to be like Job's friends, who um, either tried to offer him false comfort or a false sense of like, this is you're to blame. So just, you know, fess up. What did you do wrong? Uh, But, you know, really that um, biblical injunction, right? You know, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn, Mm -hmm. bear one another's burdens in love um, and to just let a burden be a burden or a hardship be a hardship. Um, And don't try to, you know, don't try to, to, to always put a positive spin on it. And, and that's not, you know, uh, hope and optimism are not the same thing. Um, and, and, uh, you know, Mike, one of your great heroes, right. Uh, was an exemplar of that, uh, of serve of that kind of perspective, that the gritty realism versus opt- optimism, right. You've, have you talked about Admiral Stockdale on the pod? Oh, uh, did we? Or do we just do it via email? Yeah, no. He uh, he he said so. Admiral Stockdale, the the man who was uh, he was in the Hanoi Hilton, I believe, for seven years. He was the vice presidential running mate for Ross Perot, and he was much mocked because he came on camera wearing a hearing aid because the people had beat his ears and the uh, prisoners who had contained him had beaten him and mercilessly every day. But he had a uh, he wrote a book about his experiences. Obviously, he became a spy inside the Hanoi Hilton along with his wife, and he yeah that's what he said. That was his main takeaway: is that people would come in with false optimism, but without any bedrock to it. And his hope was he was a Christian, and he 
he just said, uh, you know, I can endure these things. I can persevere. I can survive these things, but I have no false hope. My hope is my real hope, hope in Christ. And other people would come in and say, I hope I get out by Christmas. I hope I get out by Easter. And they would say these things repeatedly. And then he would see those dates fade away and he would see them literally die from lack of, of actual hope. And it's, it's so sad. Uh, and I mean, that may seem like a fine distinction, but your hope has to be in something real. And that's what hope is. Correct, Pastor? Is my theology right there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't hope in something that's not real. I mean, I suppose you could, but as soon as it's exposed as not being real, then your hope is going to vanish. So I think that's very solid theology right there. Okay, good. Whew. All right, I passed that test. Uh, so, Amy, let's sort of wrap it up with that. What was your... Uh, I mean, you talked a little bit about your strategy, but did you have sort of a long-term strategy or was it sort of day-to-day? Because now we're, I feel like all of us, I assume all of us are kind of in that day-to-day, like, really? Again? I remember when I was young and I was I was, I was, was probably clinically depressed, I would wake up, my eyes would open and I'd go, dang, I woke up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. not a good feeling. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I don't think I'm there. I don't think because, you know, we ha- I have a, a different hope now. That was before I was a Christian. Mm-hmm. But I do wake up and go, oh, man, it's still going on. So what is what is the strategy for that when you wake, your eyes crack open, the light hits your eyes, and you go, here we go. Yep, that's what, like, what's your first thing? Is it just like prayer or whatever? Just give, give us your strategy. I mean, yeah, I, I think it, exactly. It was a day at a time. And I think, you know, the strategy is obviously in life when things are going well or going poorly are, you know, are our comfort and our hope do lie in, in God. And so spending that time with God will never be wasted. Um, and, uh, you know, I think adjusting, adjusting your expectations and your goals. So, you know, taking, saying, okay, well now's the time where I can like do this next great thing is, um, is not going to necessarily be good for your mental health saying, you know, like when I was on bed rest, okay, to, you know, I'm going to lay in bed and my goal is to keep, you know, this baby in my, my stomach. Like that was my goal. And, you know, on during these days, these quarantine days, um, our goal is to just kind of keep some sanity in the house. So, you know, if, homeschooling starts to go really awry, which it kind of does every day. Um, you know, I say, okay, well, is, is my goal to make sure my children, my children know, like, you know, these specific things that were placed on their agenda, um, on the app today, or is it to make sure that, you know, they, they feel, you know, they feel safe, they feel loved, they know that, um, you know, we have their best interest in mind. So it's, it's really been a lot of just adjusting, adjusting the goal. And as somebody who's very task oriented, um, that, that can also be hard for me because I'm not necessarily great at being, being flexible, but I'm trying to recognize the areas where I can say, okay, you know, my goal today was to get this thing done for my photography business. But, you know, instead our family ended up getting sidetracked playing a game together. And that's okay because my my ultimate goal for the day is, you know, to try to use this time to, you know, keep our sanity, maybe make some memories um, and just not, um, yeah, just be in it together. And, and so... I can have other goals for the day, but if they if they don't happen and they don't fit that ultimate goal that I have, I have to be okay with that. Um, and so just taking this time to understand that, you know, it's in the depths where, you know, we, we really have a chance to uh, cling to God in a way that we don't when everything is going a lot better. Um, you know, we saw that when I was on bed rest, we saw that after, you know, Gregory was born as a micro preemie, um, you, you, as, as a, a, a wise pastor has said in the pulpit, um, we don't rise to the occasion, we resort to our training. And so, um, in these times we're kind of resorting to our training and, you know, if, but also we're, 
a lot of people are seeking and it's a time to draw closer to God. So if your training has left you without hope, then, you know, what could you do to, to find, to find that hope? If your training has, you know, if you haven't been involved in a church community and now you're seeing the benefits of that, how can you adjust, adjust that? And not just now, but for the long term. And that's one thing I've really loved about, about our particular church community is it's been trained to, um, to really care for one another. And so I'm seeing so much community still happen, socially distanced, obviously, um, where people are spending time with each other, you know, whether it's for video game, you know, video game nights, like Zoom game nights or, you know, life groups or just like, you know, ladies hanging out, you know, on the Zoom happy hour or whatever it is. It's, you know, these are practices that we had before of being a community and caring for one another. And so that is really um, helpful during this time. So if you're not where you want it to be, um, how can you adjust your your training now and when uh, things are going better because that's that's been a great comfort is those things that we had in place before things went awry that we're really leaning right. on now. Uh, Pastor Dave, it came up before, so I've got a question for you. Do you yes. recommend, I, I love the book of Job. Yeah. But it's, it's a thorny thing. Would now be a good time to read the book of Job? I think think so but i but i want your why not i mean you know i i i would say that uh i mean job is so i mean it's when you talk about someone losing everything right it's it's over the top and and yeah purpose purposely so like literally it's like you know he loses everything essentially uh, except his wife who maybe he wishes that (laughs) you know um (laughs) she had been in the house too um but uh uh like yeah, I mean, and, and the report comes one after, you know, it's like boom, boom, boom. It's like mm-hmm. bad news, worse, 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 worse. And, you know, there's the temptation held out there. Curse God and die. Like, da- like just die. Like, it'd probably be better to be dead than be experiencing this. Or his friends come around and say, and they try to, quote, unquote, help him. Um, and so I just think it's it's a really, I mean, it's God's word. So it's always, uh, always fruitful. But, yeah, to think about... Um, here is this person stuck between like either cursing God and dying or accepting a false responsibility himself and how neither one of those is the answer. But, and then when God speaks, eventually some people see that from the whirlwind, some people see that as this kind of anticlimax, but it's not meant to be uh, at all. It's, it's meant to offer a fresh perspective. And so I think that where we, maybe get troubled. We're seeking a theodicy or, you know, an answer as to how could God allow this or where is God or, um, to, uh, to, to, you know, Job is ultimately humbled, um, at the end of it. And he's, you know, experiences this great restoration in the end. Uh, but it's a, it's just a fascinating book and it's very, it, it is provocative in the best sense that it provokes Lots of good questions. Sometimes we feel ourselves even sympathizing with Job's friends, going, "Man, come on! Like there has to be something there." Oh, you completely. Know? Yeah, that's why it's such a great. Yeah, and so it draws you in in that way. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, Job is Job is awesome. So yeah, read the book of Job. I mean, we have plenty of time on our hands. So, uh, 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 and it's a long. It's a, one of the longer books, but it is it's wisdom literature. I mean, that's what it gets. Uh, bundled in with in the in the old testament um and so it's you know which is about the you know wisdom is about the art uh, of living well versus some sort of science or formulaic approach to life like it's sort of uh uh this you know a lived faith um the kind of uh maturity and seasoning that comes with that that's what the wisdom literature offers us and so yeah i hold that up at at, at this time it would be uh, i think a fruitful time to read it because if you think of being in a in a dark place or a desolate place or a super challenging place you know we can maybe see it um in a fresh way like when i was preaching sermons and you know i'm we were going through mark and i get to the little apocalypse and you know before you go well hey if i'm talking to people about the end you know end times or apocalypse or um, the end of the world, uh, before when, you know, things are booming, it's like, well, yeah, like it's, you have to sort of convince people that to take this stuff seriously in the sense of 
you know, a kind of an existential urgency um, to our relationship uh, to God through Christ. And like, no, now it's like kind of been thrust to the forefront is um, kind of getting back to basics and bedrock and, you know, upon what have we built our lives or have we built our churches or have we built our society? I mean, it it sort of forces you with these um, very profound questions, which we can ignore when we are kind of in a season of great material prosperity. And we realize how virtue never tested is no virtue at all. I'm still stuck on, we have plenty of time on our hands. I feel like those of us with small children have no time on our hands. All right. Well, so I I want to recognize that not everybody feels that way, but time spent in the Bible is never wasted time. Yeah. Thank you. That is correct. And so, Uh, Pastor Dave, do you have a final sum up with the person who is sitting 45 feet away from you? I'm just going to guess. No, she's directly. Maybe she could be right below you, so she's going to be eight feet away from you. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll stomp on She's way above you, but yes, but she is physically (laughs) below you. Yes, she's physically located beneath me probably by 10 feet or something. We're probably 20 feet away from each other, Tom's. Um, Okay. All right. uh, So sum up what Amy said. No, I want you to, do you have any final questions for her? And I think we should, you're the man to put a bow on this whole episode along with your lovely wife who is 10 to 12 to 20 feet away from you. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, no, so uh, Amy put, I think, a bow on what she said already. And so I will just say that uh, one of the, a virtue, a Christian virtue is, cert- is certainly endurance and faithful perseverance through difficulty. We are all have to do that at one time or another. Um, and so to, you know, to, to, uh, suffer in a, in a godly way, um, is, is honoring to God. It's glorifying to God. Um, that doesn't make it easier always, but that, that it's not pointless or fruitless or useless. Um, but even though, you know, going through it might feel futile, um, that in and of itself, when we bear suffering, um, faithfully that is a witness itself to to christ and so that's a part of our testimony and a part of a way that we we try to honor um honor and and please and glorify him so uh that's amy as our guest do you concur or do you strongly disagree with your husband (laughs) and you're going to have a long fight about this after this is over yeah i definitely i mean obviously i concur um it was it was interesting when uh Right before Gregory was born, in Bible study, um, our Bible study lecturer had said, um, people see Christ in you most when you're suffering. And I had, you know, done my, I, I like to do my like little calligraphy handwriting. And I was like, oh, that's such, that's such a good line. People, you know, that's when people see Christ in you most. And then Gregory was born like a week and a half later. And that just, I kept clinging to that, that, you know, this was a time, no matter what happened with our, with our son born at 23 weeks, three days, that, um, that, you know, we were clinging to God and, um, and people were watching, people were watching, you know, our articles on Caring Bridge or whatever we would post on mostly Caring Bridge. Um, and, and we definitely, we got quite a few comments from people who are not necessarily churchgoers, um, just that they really respected, um, our, our, our faith and, and just kind of how we were, how we were composing ourselves during that time. And it was definitely not us. It was, it was really what God was doing through us and how he was shining through us and, uh, clinging to that. That was, that was a huge comfort to know that, um, this experience could really show people the light of Christ through us, um, was, yeah, I mean, that, that was encouraging. So know that now people, you know, this is your time to, to let Christ's light shine through you in a way that it's hard to do when things are going really well. So take comfort in that. All right. I think that's a beautiful end to it. Uh, Amy, thank you so much thank you for having for me. This was great. Sharing yeah, thank you. Story. I feel like you've kept me Super, hidden for, uh, for years and now this is my debut. So, <laughs> well, this yeah, is wonderful. Hidden no You're more. A star, baby. That's You're right. Coming out as a star. That's right. I think Dave doesn't really like when his worlds collide. Like it makes him a little uncomfortable. You know. Whatever. So this this was a big. This was no. I'm proud of you, David. Oh, thank this you. This is a big step. Thank, thank you. you for having me. Yeah, that was a compliment. Oh, I Dave. thought it was a dig. <laughs> it shows uh, growth. No, plus, also, it's growth. Pe- 
you're listening to this podcast, you can't see, but I have a camera on Pastor Dave. He's he's lounging like. Um, <laughs> How do I describe your George Costanza very... on the episode of Seinfeld? Yes, George Costanza. That is 100% how he is lounging right now. And this is exactly why Dave Ladies. doesn't like his worlds colliding. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, Pastor Dave, any final words or you just want to sign off? You know, I want to I want to sign off and uh yeah. Okay. You've got some true, things to talk about. It's been a it's been a real pleasure to have you on, honey. And it's like you know, you're you're making your debut. It's like when they had Andy on The Office, you know? Oh, uh, no. oh no, don't I'm compare sorry. me to Andy on The Office. That's rude. Um, no, Mike, did dig. you? This is, we'll, cl- we'll close with this. That um, I, Did you watch The Office at all? The American one? I did. I watched it. My, my kids, uh, I think, endlessly watched it until Bridget came down and said, Stop. What is that theme song? Stop. Stop. Yeah. Stop. So, yes, yeah. I've seen a few. So, they introduced Ed Helms, his character, Andy Bernard, was only supposed to be on the show for like a few episodes. And then apparently he became so beloved that, or they, I don't know how it happened, but they kept him on the show. And I always, oh, wow. I hate, I, I, I have like a visceral hatred of that character. <laughs> like, I wish... So when I found out recently that they were supposed to get him off, I was like, why didn't they just get him off the show? Like, that was their out. Um, and so this might be a minority opinion, but I hate Andy's character so bad. And I know initially you're supposed to really hate him, but then they're like, well, no, they just made this subtle shift and made him, made you love him. And it's like, no. 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 I would I would just point out and this is dangerous territory that you just compared your wife to Andy from the office no, that, and then made that speech. So I'm gonna I, leave the I'm gonna wrap it up at that and let you go. That was joking. That was joking. Out. This is this is like when um like they added Lori Laughlin, Aunt Becky on Full House. Oh yeah, that's a nice, great I nice, I will take nice, that comparison. Yeah. <laughs> nice attempt at a save. <laughs> yeah, that was good. All right, uh this is I just wanted to talk about how much like, I hate Andy Bernard. That I was looking for any excuse really to rant awesome. about Look, we'll that. do a we'll do a whole episode on that. That's fine. <laughs> it's quarantine. And, and so. even Amy can join us and tell us how much she hates him or likes him too. But uh that's for another time. Uh thank you, Amy. Thank you, Pastor Dave. This is uh, Like Trees Walking. I'm Michael J. Nelson. We'll be back again. Who knows when, but we will be back. So long, everyone. So long. Thank you.